We are in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and I, I can't believe that tomorrow is November 1st. It's crazy how, how fast 2021 has blown by. Um, our hope for this year, really coming out of 2020, was to kind of view this as a year of like a, just a spiritual detox. We were kind of coming out of last year, I think maybe if you're like me, uh, the, just everything that happened, whether it's the start of the pandemic, the election, so many things that would cause a lot of unnecessary thoughts, feelings in us, maybe changed our rhythms, our spiritual rhythms. We looked at this year as just saying, hey, we want this to be a year of just a spiritual detox. We want this to be a year of just spiritual health. And so we started off the year by looking at the seven churches of Revelation. We, we looked at just what does a healthy church look like. We walked through 2 Corinthians, uh, through that book, through the, really the whole year, just a new way to live. And here in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's repeating this phrase over and over again of just walk worthy, walk worthy. And our hope was to walk through 1 Thessalonians, but it's saying, Jesus, we want to end this year well. We want to walk worthy. We want to walk worthy of the calling which you place on us. How many of you want to finish the year well spiritually, right? Yes? We want to finish well. We want to walk worthy of this calling. And here's what 1 Thessalonians is. It's a completely different take, I feel like, than 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is very corrective in nature. This is more uh, exhortation-based. Paul is basically saying, I love you guys. You're doing a great job. You, you've been born again. You're, you're walking in the faith. I want you to stand in the faith. I want to establish you in the faith. There's a, more like emotions, it seems like, connected to this in the sense of just like a parental love you know, we've talked about Paul from the sense of his pastoral or apostle leadership, just how he approaches people. We've kind of talked about just like his fatherly love. But here's what a lot of scholars recognize in 1 Thessalonians 3 specifically. As we walk through this chapter, Paul just gives us a really good framework on friendship. Paul has shown us what, what a, a true spiritual friend looks like, what they do, how they interact. I know that Paul's their pastor, he's their leader, but Paul's just speaking to them as he would a friend. And so here's what I want to do today. I just want to be just, here's how we're going to approach the text, and here's how we're going to break it down. We're going to walk through this verse by verse, but we want to see this through the lens of just spiritual friendship, spiritual friendship. Let me say, I feel like this has been really kind of like not heavy on my heart, but a theme I feel like this year the Lord's been bringing me back to. How many of you feel truly known by others? How many of you know others? Do you have deep and rich, meaningful relationships? Are we just surface level, come to church, maybe you know a couple people, I'm okay, I don't want to extend my friend group, I have enough, or maybe the friend group you're in, is it meaningful, is it rich, is it spiritual? I think there's this desire for us to just have rich and meaningful spiritual friendships. And I'm just praying that God would do this, that this is not an event, like church is not an event you attend on Sunday. We are a community of believers that make up the body of Christ where Jesus is the head, Jesus is the focus. But we want to have this community of believers truly be that, a community where we're known and we know others. And so Paul is just showing us what it looks like just to be a good spiritual friend. And so my, my hope and prayer today is maybe today you need to give your friendship away a little bit. Maybe you kind of withhold giving your friendship. Maybe trust has been hurt in the past. Maybe you're afraid to open up. I just want to ask you as we, as we read, as we pray, as we dive into this, uh, maybe the Lord's saying, hey, you need to trust again. You need to like, give away your friendship again. You probably will be hurt again. But we need to be, model what Christ did. Like how do we model what he did? That though they spat in his face, though they mocked him, he's just his father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he extended his friendship again and again and again. And that's what we want to do. So why don't we read? And then we'll pray and look at this more in depth. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, remember how Paul ends. He's like, you're a crown. We rejoice over you. Uh, we're, we're thankful for you. So chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, 
we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remembered us kindly and longed to see us as we longed to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Again, verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the faith. You just see the affection that Paul has for this church, and we just want to pray that God would just grow us in our affection to one another. So let's pray. Father, we are just so thankful that we get to be here today to worship you, to celebrate you, that Jesus, you are on the throne. God, help us just as we get busy, distracted throughout our week, God, just to take captive those, those moments where something takes your place. God, I just ask that as we just walk through your word today, that we would just um, receive what it is your spirit wants to speak to us, that you would grow us in our love, that you would grow us in our affection for each other, that God, we take on the same just heart and approach that Paul had for this church. He just shows us how to love well. He shows us how to be a good spiritual friend. God, I just pray for those maybe who are hurting in their marriages, in their friendships, that Jesus, you would just restore that that, God, you'd be the center of it, that you would lead us as we discuss your word, as we talk through this, that this would be just more even, more than just studying the Bible, but that you'd write your word on our hearts. And we just ask this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. For some of you, not for all of you, I'm about to show something that might stir some old emotions, some old feels, but um, I don't know how many of you had one of these, but how many of you had something like this when you were a kid? I don't know if the picture's up there. I can't see anything. Uh, this is a, you know, a best friend necklace, like a friendship necklace. I didn't have this pink version. I'm not claiming to have the blue version, but I might have. Um, <laughs> I, this is something I remember just seeing my sister pass out to her friend, and they like put the heart pieces together, and you're like, you're my best friend, and then she gets to someone else, and I'm like, you have two best friends, you can't do that. But I just remember like this was just something kids would give in order to kind of communicate friendship, or maybe if you didn't have that, I think many people, and this, this is more of a sign that you're probably a 90s kid. How many of you had one of these things? A friendship bracelet, right? This was one of those things you'd pass out to my friend, your friends. Like, I remember at school, you'd see people, like, give one away, and then some person would be like, wait, like, I really hope I get one. You know, the friendship bracelets. This was just how you friended someone. You know, it's funny, like, obviously today we have social media, we friend in a different way, and it's not really friendship. But uh, when you look at this, like, this is how you're like, hey, would you be my friend? You know, as an adult, sometimes I wish it was like, like, I wish we could go back to this. Because it's so awkward sometimes. It's like, oh, I, I want to hang out with that person. Like, I wish we could just give bracelets again. Like, do you want to be my friend? Like, I'd like to hang out with you. Like, it's so sweet. But here's what this reveals. Within us from a very, very young age, we have this need and we're wired for deep and meaningful friendships. And it's one of those things where I just think God has placed within us a desire to know, to be known, to have someone know everything about you, love you, accept you, embrace you. It's interesting when you think about this, just because we are probably the most connected generation ever, and yet we're also the most disconnected generation. 
you know, we're the generation that we can all be out together in public having a good time, but everyone's on their phone. You see that glow on their face. You see, like, they're like, oh, my gosh, look how cute this cat is. And you're like, you're with, like, flesh and blood people, and we're, like, distracted about, like, what's on a screen. And we're, I think because of that, maybe we're disillusioned when it comes to friendships. Maybe we, we've been discouraged. Maybe when it comes to friendships, we're just like, I don't know if I want this. Like, I've, try, I've tried, Josiah. What's the purpose? Why do we need this? I mean, is this really necessary? Like, I'm an adult now. I don't need friends like I used to when I was younger. And I think for some, for some of us, we don't realize the importance of how valuable spiritual friendships are. I think this is completely necessary. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote his book, The Four Loves, has a chapter on friendship. And yet, writing about friendship, here's what he says. He says, the first and most obvious answer is that few value it because few experience it in regards to friendship. He's saying, why, why don't we value this? Well, because we don't experience it. I think probably a problem for a lot of us is we don't experience it. You know, let me ask, because do you experience this? You might think yes, but do you really experience friendship on this level that just Scripture reveals to us? I mean, how many, how many friendships do we see throughout Scriptures where you just see that being rich and meaningful and loving each other and saying and doing the hard thing with each other and together? This is one of those things where like, I don't know if we truly value this because we have a, a broad level of friends, but not maybe a, a depth to friendship. And I want to encourage you today, and I, my hope is that we would truly maybe even extend that a little bit. It's easy to kind of get stuck and like, this is my crew. Maybe, the, great, that's awesome. But maybe the Lord's like, I want you to love others who maybe are not, don't have that. I think there's two questions. One is, do you seek this out? Do you seek spiritual friendships? And two, are you willing to offer spiritual friendships? I think everyone wants this. Like, I wish they would friend me. I wish they would talk to me. I wish they'd invite me. But do you seek out? Do you invite? My, my hope is that you seek this out and that you be what you want. If you want a good friend, I hope that you'd be a good friend. You know, I think a second reason we don't really experience this is because it just takes a lot of work. Like, let's be honest. Like, to have a rich, meaningful friendships, it takes work. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes money. It takes investment. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot out of you. And I think that we have so many examples of just what this looks like. And I want to say, let's fight for this again. I think what we've seen just throughout maybe even recent church history, the pain, the suffering, the loss, people abandoning the faith. I'm not saying it's due to a lack of friendship, but I say that probably plays a role in it. I would say that people maybe have been discouraged. They've walked away. They've been frustrated, angry, because maybe there's been a lack of just meaningful friendships. And again, my thing is, how do we fight for this? How do we be about this? So there are those who, who look at 1 Thessalonians 3 and just say, man, Paul is showing us what an affectionate friend looks like. And so even though that word might not be mentioned, he's showing us the qualities of a good friend. So uh, there's four points I want to like break down as we walk through verse 1 through 8. Here's the, the four points, and we'll just kind of, I'll briefly share them. We'll break them down. First point is this. True friends are willing to make sacrifices for your good. True friends seek to strengthen and encourage your faith. True friends help cultivate a healthy perspective on trials and temptation. True friends celebrate your spiritual growth. All right, let's look at the first point in verse 1. True friends are willing to make sacrifices for your good. Let's read again verse 1. Here's what's going on. Verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Let's just, before we get to, to establish you. Here's what he's saying. 
he says, you know, we were there in, Thessalon- in Thessalonica, remember, for three to five weeks, basically. We, we saw an amazing revival. God did a beautiful work. He's basically commending them over and over. We've heard about how you've grown in the faith, but we're worried about you. We got chased out due to persecution. I got chased out due to persecution. I'm concerned for you. So know what I'm doing? I'm sending Timothy, our co-laborer in the gospel, someone I value, someone I love. He's helping me out, but he's going to leave me to help you out. And what I see is, again, Timothy, obviously, we know is incredibly valuable to Paul in the sense of, like, they were co-workers, co-laborers of the gospel, kind of father-son mentorship in the faith kind of a thing. But you see, Paul's like, I'm sending him to you. I'm willing to be left alone so that Timothy can encourage you. Basically, Paul, and you think about that world, and you think about not having cell phones, you think about maybe not having bank accounts, like, access to things very easily. You really depended on one another. It was, you needed one another. There's dangerous routes as you traveled. And Paul's like, you know what? I'm going to put myself in a vulnerable spot by sending Timothy to you. I'm going to make a sacrifice because I just care about you. Here's the thing. Are we willing to make sacrifices for those we love and care about? You know, simply put, one author said, it's not that profound, but he said, strong affection always leads to sacrifice. When there's strong affection, it's always going to lead to sacrifice. See, true friendship is saying, I'm willing to put myself maybe at a vulnerable spot to help you out. And I just think this is so important. One, again, is this. Are you that? Are you being that for someone else? And have you experienced that? And what does this look like? Like, I don't know if you, and it's hard to like sometimes give illustrations without maybe calling people by name, but have you ever been in a spot where you just feel like all hope was lost and then someone just meets that need? You come to your side, you go, oh my gosh, thank you. Like, I didn't even expect you. I expected my, my friends that I thought were my friends, but you came, like, thank you. Thank you for being that good friend. When someone just really steps in, meets that need, it's such a beautiful thing to experience. It's such a wonderful thing to be a part of. If you have that example of just a true friend, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, uh, we know this proverb well, but Proverbs has been kind of described as like a book of wisdom, but a book of wisdom even on friendship. And here's what the author says. He says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Here's the idea. A friend loves at all times. It's very easy when things are going well to have a lot of friends around you. When you're like doing well in your career, your life, your health, like things are growing, things are happening, it's very easy that people are like, I want to be around you, this is awesome, you're an important person to me. It's very easy to have that. But what about when things aren't going well? I mean, what about when things have lost, like seasons of just lost, seasons of pain, seasons where maybe you lost it all, seasons where maybe your name is hurt? You know, see, he says, Proverbs says, a friend loves at all times, all times. Not just when things are going well, it's all times. If you've ever experienced the loss of a family member or friend or a loss of a career or job or something that has hurt your reputation or, and you have that person call you, meet up with you, love on you, it means so much in those moments. And here's a church that's in a sense going through it and Paul's like, I'm going to be left alone. I'm going to send someone to you. I'm going to put myself in a vulnerable spot for your development, for your growth. Listen, this is so important. A friend, he says, loves at all times. And my hope is as we like walk through this, I just hope that one, not that you would just hope, like, I just, I never have anyone like that. Sometimes when I counsel, like, people meet with people, it's like, no one ever loves on me, no one ever reaches out to me, no one ever cares. I've come to church hundreds of times and no one ever said hi to me. And I'm like, how many people did you invite to lunch? How many people did you reach out to? How many people did you, you seek to help when you heard of a need? My thing is we always do look at this kind of through, like, yeah, I want this kind of a friend. But obviously the question is, are you that friend? And we want to say, we want to offer it before maybe we seek it. And I think we have, and I want to develop this more in another point, but I think this is one of those things where we can grow weary in this. 
We might have to be willing to make sacrifice time and time and time again, never expecting anything in return. Just I will keep loving persistently, even if they don't reciprocate the love, even if they reject the love. I'm willing to make sacrifices because spiritual friendship, true friendship, is willing to make sacrifices for those they love and care about. And Paul models that by simply even just giving a, a coworker. It might sound simple, but I mean, this is like a life partner to stay alive. This is like a person who's co-laboring through the gospel, and you need them, and they need you. And Paul's like, I just care about your faith. I want to see you grow. So number two is this. True friends. Or, or, or seek to, strength, to strengthen and encourage your faith. Paul didn't just send Timothy, but he goes, you know what? I'm sending him for a purpose. So let's keep reading. It's verse 2, but we see why he sent Timothy. He says, we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel uh, of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. All right, again, number two is true friends seek to strengthen and encourage your faith. There was a purpose to sending Timothy. There's a purpose of this relationship. He's like, we want to strengthen and encourage your faith. Obviously, Timothy came along, probably checked in on them. But even when you think of strengthen your faith, the word faith here, by the way, is mentioned five times between uh, verse 1 through 10. Paul's like concerned for their faith. And I'm sure Timothy, with that, preached the word to them. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word. He's like, we're concerned for your faith. I want him to encourage you. If you've ever been discouraged, the idea of a friend who comes along and encourages you, encourage just means to put courage in you. Like, encourage to put courage in you. If they're discouraged, he's like, I'm sending him to just put courage in you again. If you're distracted, if you're frustrated, if you feel like I can't go on, he goes, I'm sending him to encourage you. Now, here's what I'm, I'm just trying to bring out. There's a purpose to friendship, right? He's like, you know, I care about your faith. I care about your development. I care about you growing in the faith. See, friendships can never just be about friendships. There has to be a purpose to friendship. You know, if you ever have someone just like come up to you and it's like, hey, can we be friends? You're like, uh, that's creepy. Like, that's not normal, right? When I say hey in the beginning of church, like, hey, meet someone new, be friendly, be outgoing. If someone's like, hi, what's your name? What's your social security can I number? Can we get some coffee? You're like, oh, you're freaking me out. Like, that, friendship cannot just be about, like, friends. There has to be a purpose to it. You know, that's why, obviously, friendships are usually around something. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's some shared activity. But there's something about friendship and it's like a shared value, shared vision, shared core beliefs. Friendship must be about something. Paul's like, I want to see you strengthened and encouraged in your faith. My thing is your faith. This is the thing that ties us together is your faith. I want to see you grow in that. Again, one more C.S. Lewis quote on friendship because he's just the Yoda of all, everything. Uh, he said, the very condition, listen, of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. There would be nothing for this friendship to be about, and friendship must be about something. Even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice, I have no idea why I said white mice, those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. The point is friendship must be about something. And what greater than saying our faith? We have this in common. I want to see your faith growing. I want to see you strengthened and encouraged in the faith. And this is really the point. When it comes to spiritual friendships, you will have friends that will be so unlike, like you would never imagine five years, ten years ago, maybe high school days, like I would never be friends with that person. But yet the gospel of Jesus makes us really good friends, really meaningful relationships. You know, I think the, the classic example of the best friendship probably we see in Scripture is Jonathan and David. If you ever read through 1 Samuel and you ever read this, the relationship between Jonathan and David, it's beautiful. David, young David, about 20 years old. He's the anointed king. He's the promised king. He's not the king yet, but he's the king to come. He's the king to be. Jonathan is the king's son. He's Saul's son. Now, Jonathan and David kind of had an unlikely friendship. They shouldn't have been friends. In a sense, Jonathan could be the next king. 
he could kill David and be the next king. But yet Jonathan and David have this unique brotherhood, this unique love for each other. It's like, even though I could be the next king because my dad's the king, he's like, I'm willing. And Jonathan actually gave, gives David his sword as a sign of saying, I'm willing to lay down my right for you. I, I want to lay this down for you, for your benefit, your, for your growth. And here's something that's said in 1 Samuel I think is so, so insightful into friendship. Here's what it says, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verse 23. Jonathan says this to David. He says, as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. And what we've spoken of, the Lord be between, the Lord is what binds us together. It actually says they made a vow and a covenant one to another. Here's what I want to point out, and we'll keep this verse up. These two men should have been at complete odds with each other. They should have hated each other. They should have probably sought to kill each other. And yet they're both willing to sacrifice themselves for the other throughout 1 Samuel. There's a deep and rich love, even though they shouldn't have been at odds with each other. Here's why I do bring this up. The world really does want us at the church to be divided in so many ways. There are reasons for us to be divided. There are reasons for David and Jonathan to be divided. The world tries to divide us in so many creative and clever ways. It tries to be like, vaccinated should not hang out with the unvaccinated. The left should not hang out with the right. How dare? And we almost pin each other in certain pictures and we think, I could never be in the same room with someone who does this, with someone who thinks this way. And here's what I love about the church, the Lord be between us. What I love about the church is we have the most important thing in common. The world is trying to constantly put us at odds. You think this way, you vote this way, you do it this way. Uh-uh, I could never do friendship with you. No, no, no. Not in the church. Not in the house of God. We have the most important thing in common. My heart has been like grieved over this last year by just silly little topics that have overtaken us, become life to us. I've seen friendships lost. I see people not willing to be in the same room together. I see people not speak to each other over beliefs that are secondary to the gospel of Jesus. And he says, the Lord be between us. We have the most important thing in common. David and Jonathan, even though one could be, they both could be king, there is a humility and love and respect they had for one another. And I think what the gospel of Jesus does that, it's like, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm gonna lay down my rights. I think in Philippians 2, it talks about how Jesus being in the form of God, being God himself, he laid down his divine attributes. He laid down his divine rights. He showed us what it looks like to say, say you know what, I'm going to lay it down for you. And we see this. We see that this friendship, that Paul is even speaking, he goes, listen, I care about your faith. I just care about your faith. Uh, this is what binds us together. We have the same faith. I think that this is so important to the Christian life, and yet we miss out so often. Listen, true friends seek to strengthen and encourage your faith. And as Paul does that, he, he brings perspective on suffering and trials. He, he, he reminds them of what he's spoken earlier to them. So here's the third point as we just keep going. True friends help cultivate a healthy perspective on trials and temptations. Let's keep reading. Number three, verse three. Paul goes on to say, uh, we'll just kind of go back to verse two so you kind of get the context. We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. All right, again, number three is true friends help cultivate a healthy perspective on trials and temptations. I kind of want to break this down. Paul's like, don't you remember what we talked about? He said, we are going to suffer. Now, that we is kind of debated. Is it referring just to Paul and him leaving? Or it's actually more believed he's speaking collectively. We, we are going to suffer. 
he says again, we'll put the verse up here. We kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. We. When it comes to trials, when it comes to affliction, when it comes to temptation, I love that Paul just keeps saying we. We. We're in this together. It's not you alone being afflicted. It's not us alone being afflicted. You're not alone in that. In the temptations, you're not alone in that. We. What an important perspective on trials, on suffering, on temptations. It's we. When you're being tempted, we. I'm with you. When you're in a trial, we. The idea is, he really does give a healthy perspective. Even that phrase again, we kept telling you beforehand. We kept on telling you. He's like, we kept on reminding you that there's going to be affliction. We kept speaking this. You know, uh, when it comes to trials or suffering, he goes, expect it. It's not an exception to the rule. Suffering should not be an exception. Like, oh my gosh, why am I suffering? It's like, no, no, it's not an exception. It's an expectation. We kept telling you this. I mean, the Bible really does try to do a good job of just trying to prep us for suffering, right? Like, if you think about the scriptures, it's like, don't you realize that all those who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution? 2 Timothy 3. Like, don't you realize that anyone who desires to follow Jesus, like, expect it. Peter actually says it this way in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, brethren, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. I don't know, I just love that. He's like, don't be like, oh, why am I suffering? He's like, stop. It's not strange. It's not, it's not unique to you. You're not the only one. He goes, we're, we're, don't think of a strange thing. We're with you in this. It's not that just, this is just you. You're the only one on earth who's going through this. There's something beautiful about knowing that there's other people with me in the same suffering. Obviously, suffering can be very unique. Suffering can be very personal. It might not be the exact same, but there is the fellowship of suffering. There's a way that we can relate to each other and Jesus in a greater way. When you realize it's not just me, it's us. It's so when I suffer, I relate to Jesus like I've never related to Jesus before. Jesus was not immune to suffering. Jesus was not exempt from suffering. Jesus was not exempt from trials. Jesus was not exempt from temptation. We see that Jesus <laughs> suffered. Jesus was tempted, Matthew 4, Luke 4. And there's, some, there's something about we in this. My thing is, when you're actually walking through it and a friend can come alongside you and says, let me give you a healthy perspective on trials and temptation. And sometimes the perspective is just knowing that they're there. Obviously, believers, sometimes the worst thing we can do is when someone's going through it, we open our mouth. That sometimes can be the worst thing we do. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just saying, hey, we, we, we're in this together. I'm with you. Your loss is my loss. Your grievance is my grievance. There's just something about that that we see. It's like, don't think it's strange concerning this fiery trial. Jesus, again, tried to prep us all the time for trial suffering. Listen to this, John 15. John 15, 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, the, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Welcome to the exchange. So glad you're here. Um, this... This, I, this is just truth. This is, this is what a healthy perspective is. It's like, we, we love you. We're going to warn you. We want you to be aware of this. This will be a part of life. Paul's like, we constantly reminded of you that this was going to happen as soon as we left. But we, we, you're, you're not alone in this. Again, here's the bigger point you step back. Obviously, a true friend is willing to say the hard thing, to do the hard thing, to prep you for the hard thing. You know, again, Proverbs Chapter 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A friend is like, you know, I'm going to say the hard thing. I'm going to prep you for the hard thing. I love you so much. I cannot just sympathize and empathize. It's a beautiful thing that's needed. But I also want to speak truth, and I want to do it in love, and I'm going to say the hard thing when necessary, and I want to prep you for that thing that might be ahead of you. 
I love how one author put it. He simply said it this way, a prepared soldier is never surprised when the enemy attacks, right? Just the way of putting it. He's like, I want to prepare you. You're not going to be like, oh my gosh, why did you not tell me this was going to happen? Again, I think sometimes in the church what can happen is we don't prepare people for the suffering that might be ahead, the trials that might be ahead. Then they get disillusioned and frustrated. And I thought God was supposed to bless me. And why was, and we have to, in a sense, part of our job is to say, no, no, remember what Jesus said. If the world hated him, it's going to hate us. Remember that this is not a popular belief that's saying Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. That's not a popular thing to preach. And it's one of those things that we got to mentally, spiritually prep people, and that's what Paul was doing. He, we constantly try to remind you the suffering, the affliction that's going to happen. We actually were so concerned about the temptation you're going to face. And we want to check in on you. And luckily, he goes, you endured that temptation. That was great. But he's like, we care about you and your soul in this process. You see, again, when we're talking about friendship from a broad perspective, one more verse from the Proverbs the author writes, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. It's funny how just sometimes in my life, it's the people who said the hard thing, the thing I did not want to hear, that actually sharpened my countenance. The thing that you thought would bring discouragement actually encouraged me in the process. People who lovingly pulled me aside and said, hey, I see this in you. Be aware. Watch out. The enemy's going to want to capitalize on this and use this, and I love you so much, I want to say the hard thing. It's like, you know what, thank you. Rather than fight that, rather than say, you're wrong, how dare you, you don't know me. There's a side of it's like where you've got to almost swallow your pride and go, okay, Lord, is there truth to this? Probably. Help me repent, own, respect. You know, again, iron sharpening iron can be come in forms of encouragement and speaking life. It can come in speaking the hard thing, and this is what Paul was willing to do. He's like, you know, we constantly warn you this was going to happen. We want you to be aware of this. See, what I love about friendship, and specifically spiritual friendship, it takes something incredibly normal. Everyone has friends. This is not unique to Christianity. But what is unique is our focus, is our emphasis, our values, our vision. And it takes something ordinary and makes it really, really beautiful and extraordinary. I love how Eugene Peterson spoke of just friendship in general. Hear this out. He says, friendship, listen, friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It's every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Like the sacramental use of water in baptism and bread and wine in communion, friendship takes what's common and turns it into something holy. I love that. It takes something common. What about communion? Common. Just juice, cracker. But what is it? It's, we, it's something holy to us. We get to relate to Christ's death and resurrection we get to, f- to celebrate the fact that my sins have been forgiven. Something so common becomes something so uncommon. And something like friendship, which seems so common, when you view it through the lens of the gospel of Jesus, it seems so common, but it's very uncommon when you have these rich, meaningful friendships. Again, I am trying to make an argument in a case today saying, please don't keep coming and being like, alone or isolated. Please don't like, just be okay with just attending. Like, seek out rich and meaningful friendships. Broaden your friend group, possibly. Say to your friends who you love dearly, I love our friendship, but we're pretty surface level almost every time we get together. And listen, it is okay to laugh, and it's okay to have just fun surface things. But there are times you're like, I want something more, don't you? Like, I want you to, I need you to know me. I need to know you. I want you to raise my kids. I want to be a part of raising your kids. Like, I want there to be something so beautiful and rich together. And this is something where I just feel like this is so needed, again, for us to thrive. Again, as he said, he says, uh, friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. I really do believe this is underestimated, how important this is. I've seen too many people I love dearly fall by the wayside because just people weren't willing to be their friends. People weren't willing to say the hard thing, pull them into a room and say, hey, this is not good. We really need this. I think for there to be spiritual life, to thrive, to not just get by, I really believe, like, I'd love to see just a depth to friendship. 
There's people I've just interacted with over the years that come and have come and gone. And it's hard because you're like, I love this person. You try to give your life to this person, and then they go. Here's what I want to say. I know that you're going to be hurt by the church. I know that I'm going to be hurt by the church. And it's very easy to get very bitter, put up balls, to say, I, I don't want nothing to do with the, the church. A bunch of hypocrites. It's very easy to get, kind of give up on the church. Very thankful that Jesus did not give up on the church. I'm very thankful that when he came to his own, his own received him not, and he still received them. That Jesus goes, you spit on me, you reject me, you, you, you kill me on a cross. I love the church. I love you. And I think what can happen is we forget how much Jesus loves the church. You and I will be hurt. And again, there is that temptation to put up walls, to put up bitterness, to put up just our hand and say, no, no, stay out. When people try to get to know you, you're like, I know what you're up to. And we always think there's a, there's a secondary motive versus, no, no, come on in. I get it that, that when it comes to friendships, there has to be trust. I get that you have to be maybe at times selective for this meaningful. I get that. I think you have to pray through that, discern that. If you're married, discern it with your spouse. I think there's all of that. But I think there's times where we just can kind of constantly put up walls and never let anyone in, and it's into our own, it's into our own pain. It's, it only hurts us in the process. And so I want to encourage you guys. You will be hurt. I will be hurt. Don't get bitter. Say, Jesus, forgive them as you forgave me. Help me to trust again. Help me invite people in again. And I would love for us to fight for this because I think the enemy is very clever. And you'll be like, yeah, they just hurt you again and again and again and again and again. Why, why do you keep going? Why don't you just give up? And you're reminded of Jesus. You're reminded of, of the 70 times 7. You're reminded that though I hurt him time and time and time and time and time again, he said, come on in. I'm at the door knocking. Let me in. And I just think Jesus is that wonderful example to us. See, Paul's giving them a healthy perspective on just what's ahead. I'm worried about the temptations that's going to face you. I'm worried about the suffering and afflictions that's going to face you. I'm so glad to hear that you're doing well. You, he, just, he prepped them before that happened and tried to give them a healthy perspective on what was ahead of them. And here's the, the last thing. We're going to look at verse six, four, uh, 6 through 8. Number 4 is this. True friends, and this is what Paul does, true friends celebrate your spiritual growth. So beautiful. True friends will celebrate your spiritual growth. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, what Paul says. He says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remembered us kindly and longed to see us as we longed to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Again, true friends celebrate your spiritual growth. First of all, this is such a beautiful thing. If you see growth in a friend's life, celebrate it. He's like, we've heard about how you've grown in your faith. We've heard about your love. We were comforted by that. You know, like obviously the Romans 12, 5 talks about rejoice with those who rejoice. Paul is doing that. He's like, we've seen the growth. We've heard about the growth. And man, that just brings us so much joy. He is, that, that just makes us so, just so happy to know that you're growing. Um, I don't think we celebrate enough. I really don't. I think sometimes the church is almost like you could be doing better. Like, of course we could be doing better. But sometimes we need to slow down and celebrate the wins. Sometimes we're going to be like, wow, look what God has done. I remember we used to have, uh, just years ago, like different meetings, and it'd be all about data. How many kids came? How many kids got saved? What happened? There's some things like that. I remember like in a meeting, I was like, hey, can I tell you some really good news? Uh, a kid started reading his Bible for the first time this week. And it's like, well, well that's not, we don't track that. I'm like, let's track that. <laughs> you know? Or like, wow, a kid actually said that normally he would turn to pornography during this moment, but instead he turned to open his Bible. My, my thing is, like, celebrate that. Celebrate the spiritual growth. That, that, to me, is where the church can, like, it's, it's hard when you're, like, you see growth, but no one's maybe recognizing it, or no one's affirming it, no one's, like, I see this in you. That's such a beautiful thing when someone says, I see this in you. I see the way you've grown. I see your hunger and thirst for righteousness. Keep it up. You might still fail at a million things, but just having someone recognize that growth in you is such a beautiful thing. Paul's like, I've heard about your love. I've heard about your faith. It's beautiful. It brings me joy. I love it. 
Again, it's something about celebrating it together. Like, it's fun to celebrate something, but it's really fun to celebrate with someone else. Like, I love a good meal, but I love a good meal with people I love, right? Like, it's fun to be like, oh my gosh, like, this meal's made. Like, if I find something I love, I basically become an evangelist for that thing. I'm like, you gotta go to this restaurant, it's the best thing in the world. And I try to invite everyone into it, right? I mean, because you want to celebrate, you want to do it together. You don't want to be alone and find something great alone. It's like there might be a movie series, like, oh my gosh, whenever I meet people, it's like, I've never seen Lord of the Rings. I'm like, how have you not, how are you a Christian? Like, how have you not seen it? And then a lot of times, like, we got to do this, the extended version, it's going to be great. You're going to have like 28 hours of amazingness, right? It's just there's something like you want to do it together. You want to celebrate it together. It's not just, it's not sufficient when it's alone. And Paul's like, we're going to, I love this. I love what God is doing in you. This is such a beautiful thing he has done in you. Actually, this phrase in verse 8, listen to how he puts it. This is so crazy how emotionally connected it is. Verse 8, Paul again says it this way. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. He's like, what brings us life is you standing fast in the Lord. It gives me life to know that you're standing fast. When you are established in the Lord, when you're standing fast, when things are thrown your way and you're like, hey, I'm still following Jesus. It's not going to sway me. It's not going to take me away. He goes, that brings life. We live. We live if you're standing fast in the Lord. What a beautiful phrase. Again, Paul's like spiritual life was in a sense connected to his people. Just like when you do well, I'm doing well. When you're in pain, I'm in pain. I know we couldn't get through the service without a Keller quote, so here's Keller on this. He says, to give your heart away is to love someone, to personally invest in them so that your joy is irretrievably bound up with them. You've given so much of yourself to someone, you've personally invested so much that if they're indifferent, or if they're unhappy, or if they're miserable, or if they're in trouble, you can't be completely happy. There's a cloud over your heart, meaning you're so connected to them. Again, their joy, their win is your win. Their pain is your pain. Paul's like, we live if you stand fast in the Lord. You know, obviously, when we read a text like this, you can't help but just be reminded that Paul's desire for affection and love and, and desire to see their growth, it's just a small taste of obviously the friend that you and I have in Jesus. That Jesus was willing to make the greatest sacrifice for you and I. That Jesus says, I care about your growth, your development. I'm going to prepare you for the temptations and trials ahead. I'm willing to make the sacrifice. I'm willing to be the sacrifice for you in this process. I care about your perspective on suffering. I mean, Jesus truly is that friend we've always needed. The friend we will never have. The friend we inspire to be like. We want to be like Jesus. We will fail at that. And there's a grace that we need to have for one another in that. But there, Jesus is that friend that you go, oh my gosh, everything I've craved or hope the church would be, Jesus is. I thought the church would be this, it failed me, it hurt me, but Jesus was that. I mean, it's the great hymn, the author says, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. And there's a time you say, oh, what a friend I have in Jesus. That though everyone left me, Jesus was with me. That Jesus was that great sacrifice. As Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus is like, you're my friends in John 15. You're my friends. Jesus said this hours before he laid down his life. I mean, John 13 through 17 is just hours, in a sense, before his betrayal, his, his being on trial, and his death. And in John 15, he goes, hey, there's no greater friendship. There's no greater definition of friendship than one who's willing to lay down his life, and that's what he's about to do, that true and great friend we have in Jesus. Jesus is that. Church, my hope is that you know Jesus. My hope is that you have a friendship with Jesus that you would realize that Jesus is that friend that will meet those needs that no one else could meet, 
Uh, you can put your friend, you can have, how many, I don't want to ask this question, but we have clingy friends at times. Friends were like, okay, you need to find another friend than just me. All right, we can have that. But can I tell you, Jesus is like, hey, I want to, I want to be that for you. I want to be that. Like, cling to me. I'm okay with clingy friends. I love that about Jesus. <laughs> He's like, come on, you're welcome here. Jesus, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And in a church, again, for us, I'm that failed friend. I'm that friend who has failed. I'm the friend who has that failed Jesus. I'm that friend that I go, I can't do this. And I love this covenant, Jonathan and David, it's a reminder of this covenant we have with us and God. And it's like, hey, it doesn't matter if you, if you don't keep your end, I'm faithful. Do we not realize 2 Timothy 2.13, God is faithful even when we are faithless. He cannot deny himself. Just who God is. I'll be that friend. I'm that faithful friend. I'm faithful to complete the work I started in you. That's me. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Church, I would, I would love, let's fight for meaningful friendships. Let's maybe make, carve out some time in our schedule. We offer something called core groups as a way just to say, hey, would you walk through this with people? Confess, others, read, exhortation, C-O-R-E, core group. Maybe pick up one of those, those manuals. Practice that. You know, we just finished Alpha. Normally, we'd be having groups through November, but this is the time for us just now. It's like, hey, maybe take the month of November just to meet with people, love on people. There's no Alpha. There's no groups until January. Maybe this is time where we just try to naturally cultivate some meaningful relationships. And you say, hey, can we meet monthly? Can we talk? Can we walk through this? Can you ask me anything? Can I ask you anything? Can I invite you into this? This is something I, I just, I'm praying that the Lord does and, and that there would be love and grace and that there would be a sense of safety but yet challenge to go further in how we need this. Amen? I just want to spend some time praying, thanking God, ending with worship, and just really celebrating the friend that you and I have in Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you, God, that um, you are that true and faithful friend. That though, Lord, I sin 70 times 7, you forgive me. Um, Lord, I just ask that we would just replicate that, that we would do that. God, that we can be the friend like you have been to us. That, um, Lord, at the same time, there'd be a grace and patience that when maybe someone in the church hurts or fails, that, Jesus, we just cling to you. That we don't put up walls, that we don't get bitter, that we don't become isolated. But, God, I just ask, no matter what age, 12 or 80, Lord, we just pray that there just still be a desire for meaningful, rich friendships that are centered on you, Jesus. May our God be between you and I. Lord, we just pray that that would be just the case for us, that though the world says we should be at odds, we cannot be because we have you, Jesus, in common. We thank you. We praise you. We just want to worship you. We just want to invite you just into our week ahead, that, Jesus, we would just make the most and carve out time for you and for others, and we just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys just stand and let's just close out with a song of worship.